this is Grant Winneravage, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Egg Services in Warren, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network, CHS Egg Services, providing solutions for your success. Tuesday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan, along with Whitney Pittman and Sierra Doctor. The Environmental Protection Agency hosted a hearing today on its 23 through 2025 biofuel blending obligations under the Renewable Fuel Standard. Growth Energy CEO Emily Score testified at the hearing, urging EPA to approve the backlog of renewable fuel pathways. We are greatly encouraged by EPA's strong set proposal with implied conventional biofuel volumes at 15 billion gallons for 2023 and increasing to 15.25 billion gallons for 2024 and 2025. Moving forward, our opportunities for growth across both conventional and advanced biofuels are linked, so it is important that the proposed volumes reflect industry growth and innovation. Specifically, we ask that EPA clear the backlog of pathway approvals for renewable fuels, including cellulosic biofuels from kernel fiber, advanced biofuels from corn oil produced at bioethanol wet mills, and bioethanol produced using carbon capture technologies. SCORE says year-round E15 is still a priority. Finally, while not directly addressed under this proposal, EPA must continue to work to allow the sale of E15 year-round and finalize its proposal to broaden use of existing retail infrastructure and simplify E15 labeling. Last summer, President Biden wisely responded to surging fuel prices with a temporary E15 waiver, estimating it would save working families up to 10 cents per gallon. As it turns out, Drivers saved on average closer to 16 cents per gallon and nearly a dollar per gallon in some parts of the country. We can maximize biofuels' ability to reduce greenhouse gas emissions while saving consumers money at the pump by allowing the sale of E15 year-round. Soy Transportation Coalition Executive Director Mike Steenhook says transportation issues last year forced farmers to look at alternate marketing avenues. We, we experienced a lot of challenges, and 2022 was a, a pretty good reminder that you can't just concern yourself with growing a crop if you're going to be successful, and you can't just focus on developing demand for that crop. You have to be able to connect supply where soybeans and grain are, are grown to where they're ultimately consumed. And, you know, we had a number of challenges throughout 2022, and many of them are still persisting uh, to this day whether it's low water conditions on our inland waterway system, whether it's challenges with our freight rail system, being able to access a predictable supply of shipping containers. Steenhook thinks the bulk of the supply chain troubles are over, but it may take a while for transportation methods to return to normal. You know, we think that there's going to still remain some challenges in, in 2023. We've seen you know, very significant cost escalations. You know, with, with trucking, a lot of that is due to inflation for, you know, with, with labor um, and also with fuel prices, you know, quite high with diesel fuel. You know, barge transportation really uh, witnessed some very seismic increases, you know, particularly in the fall that's relaxed a bit, but really significant cost increases of moving product on the Illinois waterway system just simply because that system was not as, as efficient as it normally is. The voting delegate session is underway at the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual convention in San Juan, Puerto Rico. President of the North Dakota Farm Bureau Federation, Daryl Lease, says carbon will be a focus. You get, a, you get away from the farm bill talk and you get away from, you know, more of the... Uh, 
direct farmer uh, discussion, and they start getting into discussions uh, regarding, you know, CO2, carbon capture, those kind of things. And, you know, that debate's yet to come later today. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't went there yet, but those are some things we're going to be talking about also. Lee says North Dakota Farm Bureau specifically took a position to oppose non-use injection of carbon dioxide at their annual meeting last November. Our delegates at our convention in North Dakota in November took a position to be against the injection of CO2, the, the non-use injection of CO2, I should clarify, uh, which we're just, you know, storing it forever where it has no enhanced use. Just our, our members are going, this is just this is crazy. We shouldn't be supporting taking a plant nutrient that isn't at least being utilized to enhance another industry. So the non-use injection, our members uh, were very clear about. The used machinery market has been hot for the last few years. Big Iron Auctions territory manager Eric Kazmarski says supply will continue to keep used machinery prices high. Long term, the prices are still going to remain really strong because right now our customers can't get that equipment at the dealerships. So it's currently making that used inventory worth so much money right now. It's kind of a wide gamut, again, just touching base on, you know, kind of the supply and demand. The demand is through the roof and the supply is pretty, pretty, pretty dismal. Um, really, whether, whether it comes to ag equipment, construction equipment, or transportation. Um, up here in North Dakota, we've really noticed our transportation, our semis, our trailers, have been really, really strong the last six months. Big Iron Auctions is coming off a record year. We're coming off our last quarter of the quarter of the year, and our sales were through the roof. You know, we were constantly breaking records every single week, and right now, this this first quarter is still going to remain strong because a lot of these buyers didn't find the product they were looking for even in this last quarter. North Star Commodity Chief Analyst Mark Schultz expects the wheat market to remain under pressure from lack of demand and weather. With some warmer weather coming in, especially in the southern half of the U.S. Uh, uh, Texas, uh, we're going to see temperatures hit 80 degrees today and tomorrow for the highs in uh, the Dallas areas. That uh, We're seeing the same 75 to 80 degrees going over in the eastern Corn Belt as well for the southern areas. So for some of that wheat, they're going to, it's a perfect time for them to put some fertilizer on it and hopefully they get a rain after that and it should be uh, give the, the, the winter wheat crop a little bit of a jolt there to the upside or, or as far as production is concerned. Schultz doesn't expect a lot of movement ahead of Thursday's USDA reports. I wouldn't think so. I don't think there's enough yet that in, in even if there even if these crops and there's private estimates here as low as uh, uh, 39 to 40 million metric tons on the beans in Argentina and the USDA is at 49.5. Uh, you're seeing some 45 million metric tons on a corn crop in Argentina this year versus USDA at 55 million. Even if they, if USDA comes down and more than likely should, I don't think you're going to see a take the knife to it and have a significant drop. I think they're going to slow play the decline like they typically do. This is the Red River Farm Network. Tuesday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. NDSU Extension weed scientist Brian Jenks says using more than one mode of action could prevent weed resistance. Weeds will generally become resistant when farmers, agronomists, repeat the same actions over and over. So if a, a farmer uses the same herbicide repeatedly, then a, a plant can adjust and become resistant. That might take 5, 7, 15 years. 
It just depends on, on the weed and the herbicide, the, the mode of action, but generally it can be probably uh, average, maybe seven years, 15 years, 20 years. You know, there, there are some herbicides that still are, are not showing resistance. Kochia is one weed that's become resistant to common herbicides. So for kochia in, in particular, we've got several that have been effective, but unfortunately some of those that used to be effective aren't as effective anymore. But we rely a lot on what we call our burn-down herbicides. For years we've relied on Roundup, AIM, Sharpen, other herbicides like that. Unfortunately, the kochia has adjusted, and now we've got some pockets in the state where uh, some plants are resistant to those herbicides. And so now we've got to rely on others, such as Gramoxone, maybe Metribuzin, uh, Liberty. So that there's a few others that we, we still have access to, but they don't always work in all situations. NDSU Extension cereal plant pathologist Andrew Friskop has three diseases in wheat that he's worried about. Yeah, back in 2022, when we were looking at uh, diseases in the state, I, I'd say that the most problematic disease for foliar disease was bacterial leaf streak. Most of our head diseases were kind of kept in check this year, which is good. Uh, I always get questions about scab or fusarium head blight. And this past year, I think our growers did a really good job managing with fungicides and well-timed applications. And Mother Nature helped us out a little bit, too, by not giving us a huge scab risk at the wrong time. So a combination of things, uh, most reports saying we had a good, good crop. Friskup says ergot is a relatively new disease that's migrated to the upper Midwest, but it hasn't been a huge problem disease. Yeah, with ergot right now, um, I'd say our problems or the conversation started back in 2018. Um, when I ask about growing conditions, I, I can safely say that every year we're going to find ergot in North Dakota. That's just, it's that's such a common disease. It's a large host range. Where we run into problems is when we see large epidemics of it. Uh, this past year, I, I wouldn't say we saw any epidemic level type of worries, uh, but it was around. It was certainly on field edges, and we were able to stay uh, mindful of just keeping some of that separate. Uh, but moving forward, when somebody says, what can we do for ergot? Like, what are conditions? Cool and wet weather at heading, which is often something that occurs quite frequently in North Dakota. National Potato Council CEO Cam Quarles says Canada's government has answered potato wart concerns with potato imports from Canada's Prince Edward Island. We had a, a meeting in our office that the Canadian Food Inspection Agency came to, came to and uh, did a presentation for us. They made it very clear that they are uh, working right now to modernize the program that deals with potato wart on PEI. Um, that's what we've been asking for for a number of months. They're also working very hard on the testing data, getting all of that, that testing information in about where the disease is and isn't on PEI. Curls expects USDA to adjust protocols to mitigate risk on imported potatoes from Prince Edward Island. Those are all the things that we've been asking for, hoping would happen. You know, USDA identified two months ago in an APHIS report the threat of potato wart if these modernizations, if these enhancements didn't occur. I think they're working towards them and we're, we're hopeful that we want to see the details, but we're hopeful that's moving in the right direction. They're going to mitigate that risk. The USDA will release several reports Thursday, including the January World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimate, or WASDE report, and the quarterly grain stocks report. 
Quarterly stocks report for the corn supply as of December 1 are expected to be at 11.15 billion bushels compared to 11.64 last year and the lowest since 2013. Soybean Quarterly grain stocks are expected to be at 3.13 billion bushels. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. National Pork Producers Council President Terry Walters says after the Supreme Court tried Proposition 12, an amicus brief was filed by the Biden administration with additional briefs in support of NPPC and the American Farm Bureau Federation filed by multiple state ag groups. The justices that day were extremely knowledgeable. They had read the uh, information ahead of time asked very pointed questions of both sides and uh, really tried to understand whether the state of California has that authority, whether it's uh, immoral, they argued a morality side of the equation, but at the end of the day we just feel like uh, we best as producers in cooperation with our veterinarians know how to raise animals, what's best for them and for worker safety, and so uh, ultimately we want safe food safe animals and safe employees. And Walters, who farms in southwestern Minnesota, expects a decision to be made early this year. The justices took it in and they're uh, deliberating on it and uh, we are hopeful that sometime in January, maybe close to February, that we'll, before we'll hear. But that's kind of the normal life, uh, cycle of this uh, relative with the holiday season in there and some things like that. So it'll probably be January. I think uh, right now there's a lot of things that are happening in the industry. We're obviously very challenged with uh, uh, inflationary costs as producers. We've got a tremendous amount of focus on controlling foreign animal disease and uh, the national organization working very closely with the USDA and APHIS to uh, try and keep African swine fever off the mainland here in the United States. Mexico has proposed a ban on biotech corn imports, but that appears to be a non-starter for the Biden administration. Meetings with reporters after his speech at the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says there is no compromise on this issue. Meanwhile, President Biden and Mexican President Lopez Abrador met Monday. A White House summary indicates the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Free Trade Agreement was a small part of the conversation and the GMO corn issue was not mentioned. Checking markets before we leave you this afternoon. We're seeing March wheat in Minneapolis down five and a quarter at eight ninety-six and three quarters. Chicago March wheat's down eleven and a quarter at seven thirty and a quarter, and Kansas City down fourteen and a half at eight fourteen. March corn three and three quarter cents higher at six fifty-six and a half. December corn is unchanged at five ninety and a quarter. March soybeans down two cents at fourteen eighty-six and a half. July soybeans down three cents at fourteen ninety-two and three quarters. In Winnipeg, March canola trading down $13.60 a metric ton. It's at $845 even Canadian money. February live cattle 15 cents higher, 157.90. April's up 27 cents. January feeder cattle 62 cents higher, 184.25. March is 12 cents higher at 186.42. February lean hogs down a dollar and two cents at 79.80. April lean hogs down a dollar 22 at 89.57. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Have a great afternoon. This is the Red River Farm Network.